Hey guys, it's our third episode. Uh, we've invited our friend and athlete, Spencer Tsai, to our podcast. Hi, nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Spencer is, uh, I mean, before we get into any deeper, he's a yeah. phenomenal Masters athlete, and I've been really lucky to uh, work with him. So I'm excited for him to share our experiences. How long have you guys been working together? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Okay, well, I mean. With the date, we started dating, basically. <laughs> yeah. asking, the what was our, what was our first date, and when, and when did we actually start when did we get, get married? Get married? Yeah. That's yeah. a very yeah. got engaged. Yeah. question. But, uh, <laughs> I would, I, I clearly recall, I mean, I've known Spencer for a long time yeah. in the world of CrossFit, and yeah. then as he started to evolve into his weightlifting, mm. knowing him and seeing yeah. him, obviously, in local competitions. But I think the um, conversation... I remember the journey and conversation got deeper when we, I think that we had a, did a competition in Garden City and it was our first test to kind of see what we need to resolve and fix or what things need to be addressed. Uh, Spencer, I'm sure, has probably his own storyline, but I remember clearly him being around, being a BBC, coming in and out, uh, kind of, I guess the word would be feeling me out or feeling out the environment and learning a little bit how I coach. And then I remember that specific day in Garden City uh, that was about a year out from um, Masters Worlds 2018. I yeah, it was, it was like 2017 December. Yeah, and it was, and so I remember, I remember that being the day, pretty much when this is kind of like when we started our our coaching athlete journey. So about two years then. Just about two about years. two years. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and how long have you been lifting, Spencer? Uh, lifting, as far as dedicated. Weightlifting, I would say uh, probably around the same time that I started with Blanco. Okay. So I would say within maybe the third quarter, 2017-ish. Okay. And then I've been doing uh, CrossFit uh, before that from 2013 up until mm -hmm. then. And then, of course, you know, dabbling with weightlifting uh, while I'm doing that. And eventually the... The egress was a bit more prominent once I just started figuring stuff out. I know that I had my experience as a coach, right, knowing when we had started our right. journey. And I, had, I, I would love to know, like, when in your mind was it when we actually, when in your mind you felt that we started to build that relationship and, and you started to kind of say, okay, I'm going to be working with Coach uh, Blanco and I'm going to be working at a BBC and I'm going to you know, set that goal and move forward with that? Basically, when I started to think seriously about my time, uh, what I'm doing at the gym, and um, how I can go forward and maybe even achieve something along the way. And then once I started figuring things out, doing my research, and understanding um, where I fell into the world of weightlifting, and eventually master's weightlifting because I didn't realize that I was a master's at the time. I started CrossFit when I was 35, 36. So uh, it was an automatic progression right. that I didn't know about, which, was, which happened to work out in my favor. So um, I figured out uh, a couple of goals that I wanted. And um, I've been here a couple of times because Jess Pimani, one of your former athletes, right. uh, she brought me here a couple of times. And... Um, I really was drawn to the environment that you created. Cool. So because of that, um, you know, you reached out to me a couple of times, oh, yeah. even like one or once or twice. And, you know, even then I was still trying to suss things out in my mind. Mm -hmm. But uh, once I took that initiative, because that's where it has to start. It can't just be you recruiting somebody. You know, that person has to be on board or even more so than you. Right. Oh, totally. So once, There's definitely a buy-in. So yeah. once that, once that buy-in occurred, uh, once that inequity of desire was tipped in my favor, that's when I reached out to you. That's when I said, "Let's get the worlds. Uh, how do we do that? Um, you know, what's the first step?" And you started giving me my first program block, and then we went from there. Mm. So did you? kind of veer into weightlifting definitely fell in love with it and then you thought of worlds or was worlds just something that you had kind of when you found out about weightlifting you kind of immediately were drawn to that idea of high level competition I was 
intrigued by the sense that I was halfway decent at weightlifting mm-hmm. compared to CrossFit, where yeah. I was okay. Yeah. I was better than average. Yeah. Um, I was always intrigued by the fact that um, I may have uh, some natural talent at something if I give it a tiny bit of juice. Mm-hmm. And this, you also this, built a foundation with CrossFit. I built a lot yeah. of. I built a huge foundation. My first, my yeah. first snatch was during thirteen one. And uh, where we you, awesome. we're you, dating ourselves now. Thirteen <laughs> one, where you know it was uh, burpees and um, some some other nonsense, and then I think I remember that maybe uh, wall that. balls or something. <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? And yeah. then um, and then to me, heavy snatches. I mm-hmm. think we worked up to one. I worked up to one thirty five, yeah. and I had to figure that out by myself. Yeah. And I ended up literally on my back on my ass Can with the barbell. Can you tell me what that is in me. kilos? Because I I just don't do pounds. I'm sorry. Sixty. Sixty okay. two ish. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to have that affinity towards something and have that reciprocated mm-hmm. with um, you know how I was feeling while I was doing it and seeing the reaction of others around me. That it was like. Maybe this is something worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one thing that Blanco told me pretty pretty soon about you that I think is interesting and I want to explore a bit is um, I had asked him about um, maybe photographing you or doing something, and Blanco told me, you know, don't. Spen- Spencer's in a very. Um, <laughs> this focused- is again leading into a world. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, Spencer's in a very focused stage and he likes things just so and like I wouldn't really bother him with that right now because he's very very particular about like how he likes things and and kind of just his schedule and what he likes well he didn't say this but I I kind of figured out like (laughs) (laughs) what Spencer likes to wear and 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 uh and I know a lot of the, you know, every athlete is different and some are very particular and some are less. And I'm kind of curious about if that is something that you that's a trait of yours that's consistent throughout your life. Or is is this something very particular to lifting and sport? Like, I'm kind of interested in that. Well, first off, I'm really interested in knowing what, <laughs> what Blanco's <laughs> preconceived conceptions of my idiosyncrasies are. Uh, <laughs> what I like to wear, to what I like going to do, deeper, what I like to eat. Into a relationship oh, with yeah. Coach Athlete. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, apparently, he's got like a notebook on me. This is what uh, this That is in my programming. Is and uh, yeah. I'm going to look into that. Maybe I'll find <laughs> out something about myself that I don't know about. Um, but as far as particularities go, um, I would think that. I'm trying to, I think you were uh, talking about leading up the worlds. Maybe that focus, I would say, is more akin to like the idea of, uh, that I like to think of stoicism, Mm -hmm. where you're trying to control your own locus, Mm -hmm. um, everything around you. uh, That's the only thing that you can really can control. Absolutely. You know, uh, everything else, uh, your environment, whatever, uh, that's, something that can be thrust upon you and it's about how you react to that um and i'm just trying to control everything around me sometimes a little i'm a little too superstitious with things i like things to be very particular but um it's just a way of grounding me in my baseline Mm -hmm. so i have no excuse for Mm -hmm. anything um regardless of what's going around me i actually prefer that there are a lot of uh outside distractions Mm -hmm. Because that tends to make my locus a bit more, fo- um, like a bit more focused and also concentrated, mm-hmm. where I'm able to um, collect myself and gird myself against everything outside, and focus on the task at hand. And is this something you've been developing and fine tuning over the years? How did you get into so- stoicism? I would think that yeah. Uh, Weightlifting has definitely been a huge tool for that Mm -hmm. Um, because of the nature of the the mental burden that it takes in order to, you know, do something so technical, but also uh, something where you have to exert 100% of your strength, no no matter if it's the barbell or if it's your one rep max or whatnot. So 
all your focus has to be 100% at all times. So, so it seemed like weightlifting was a really natural match for you like in terms of your, pers- I think your it's personality. A, I think it's a natural match for a lot of people, yeah. uh, for most people, because yeah. they're able to focus on their own world mm-hmm. um, in a very positive, selfish way, mm-hmm. where they're able to work on their own uh, methodologies, how they go about problem solving, how they go about um, exploiting the good and the bad, like, you know, how they celebrate and how they um, learn from defeat. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of weightlifting is it actually, it shines a light, right? It exposes you, it forces you to kind of become really intimate with those parts of yourself, whether you want to or not, right? Because right. of because of the scenario and the situation of, of competition and that pressure and exposure to weakness and, and things like that. Yeah, the scenarios are rampant. Yeah. in weightlifting and they occur on all levels so going into that i i, I want to hear about the differences you felt in yourself and your own conscious self-reflection between your first world and your second world self-reflection okay so with my first worlds and with any opportunity that you are presented with uh, your first time, your maiden voyage into something. That's always something that um, you have the benefit of um, ignorance. Mm-hmm. And for me, as Blanco can attest, sometimes I'm a little too informed. Yeah. Um, I know everyone and everything, my competition, what I'm capable of, uh, what I will do. I have all of my warm-ups, everything, all my attempts all written out um, days in advance. And, um, but ignorance is a big, yeah. you know, that's the X factor that you can never really um, account for. Um, and it's something that is a blessing or a curse. And in most cases, I think in weightlifting is a blessing yeah. because um, I think that that um, initial experience and not really knowing what's, what would occur within that scenario, even though that year was like jam-packed full of meats yeah. because he was trying to get me that, ex- that platform experience. Right. Once I got out there, um, it was a new experience for me entirely. Yeah. It was like my first meet almost, it felt like, mm-hmm. even though I was beaten down, yeah. uh, you know, I just did meet the, the month before, it just felt like a first time. So that was a great thing where I can go in and um, not have any expectations, but just do my fucking best. Yeah. You know, whereas with the second time, everything felt a little too perfect. Hmm. The meat was perfectly run, better than the first. Uh, the warm-up area was uh, almost too quiet. Uh, <laughs> nothing was going around around me. Uh-huh. Uh, there was no... Uh, you know, conflict with any other athletes, uh, with plates that, uh, you know, it was just me uh, going there to collect my silver medal. Yeah. <laughs> which is extremely anticlimactic. It sounds Compared to me, to me fighting for, yeah. uh, you know, that place amongst maybe, you know, six or eight other uh, competitors. Yeah, it sounds like to me that you love the contrast. Like, the contrast gives you energy, you know? Because it, a couple of minutes ago, you were talking about how you you really enjoy it when there's lots of things happening around you. And when yeah. you have to... When that pressure forces you to look internal and, and create that passion and create that extra energy that you need, right? It creates drama. Yeah, creates drama. That's good. And um, that's what anybody in life is looking for. Yeah. Drama is energy. Drama is life. It's mm-hmm. excitement. Um, and more so, how you respond to that drama, uh, that stress, gives everything that you're doing meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than being a bystander, like, you know, being an active uh, actor in that drama and a driving force with it, um, it really, it just, it's invigorating, you know. That's that's what uh, that's why anybody does anything with right, any yeah, sort totally. of passion, yeah, you know, whether or not they enjoy an endeavor or not. Right. What it elicits is 
much more important. Well, I think that and how you respond to it is everything. Right. But I think that what was interesting about the second world um, that I got to experience from my point of view was the other side of the coin, right? So we did our first worlds and it was unknown and we had prepared very well for it and, you know, performed phenomenally. And I think that, and I had this conversation with you after, the reality is that, okay, you've gotten to a specific level now and you are, you know, one of the best in the country, in your age group, in your category. Now you're going into worlds and you've established um, uh, a particular standard already. Mm. And I think the other flip of the coin was like now upholding that. Right. That's where's your motivator. And I remember in the train, in the back, I had to have a conversation with you to kind of like, you know, like wake up, like get yourself in. Because I think that you got to experience the other side of like, okay, you've achieved that peak, that mountaintop. Now, how do you maintain it? Knowing that you fully are capable of doing all these things, how do you keep yourself motivated? How do you keep that fire, right? And that focus, which is actually was, I think, this second time around was a little more challenging for you focus-wise. Because the last time it was very easy to keep you focused because it, it was a new endeavor. But this time it was, it was for me, it was a little more challenging to keep you focused right. than it was the, the first time around. It was a new endeavor. Um, the first time had actual people that were pushing me. Mm-hmm. Um, although I weren't, I wasn't really aware of that. You know, that's more your sphere. However, uh, my yeah, my focus just started to wane a little bit because um, maintenance, which is what we were going for, yeah. the maintenance <laughs> of excellence is a lot less uh, enticing. Well, and, it's, yeah, it's it's not as it's not it's not a it's, it's not, not a as notion. Sexy. Yeah, it's, it's not a, yeah. yeah, it's not a notion that yeah. people were like, I want to. Stay excellent, you know, like, wow, <laughs> like, what a, it's not inspiring at all. Yeah. So, but I think it's so amazing, this year, though. yeah, this, I mean, this, this challenge this year was to try to find the motivation mm-hmm. um, of not just going there and collecting my silver medal just for showing up and doing my list consistently mm-hmm. and whatnot, you know, making it more like training almost. Did you feel like you found that motivation? Um, I didn't. And I think yeah. that that was a good thing. Yeah. Is that, um, hey, you know what? I'm not going to scoff going and collecting my silver medal. Yeah. You know, it's a silver medal. And sure. that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. I understand that the work that I've put in has put me in that position to be far better than others. And I will take that silver medal and I will wear it proudly. And I will attribute it to the club. I will attribute it to Blanco and my hard work. However... Um, that lack of real motivation um, has propelled me further mm-hmm. for next year or the year after uh, to really figure out um, what's driving my, my sphere that I can control mm-hmm. uh, and the motivations behind that. Like, so I need a, that's my homework from Worlds is, is figuring that out, is to resolve that motivation. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to share, I, I know that one of our things that we talked about going to that day was sticking to the plan. Right. And what we got to experience and see was like a lot of guys, a lot of athletes showing up and just like, just throwing caution to the wind. Cause it's like, okay, I'm here. Let's just do things that are way outside of our comfort zone. And, and I think that that is a way to do it. But even at that level where these guys are competing at Worlds, it's like, it doesn't mean that's what has to happen at Worlds. Sometimes just showing up and trying to maintain your position and performing at that high level, that's, that already is an accomplishment within itself. Because it's, you've, we were watching guys go out there and really overcommit. I mean, not performing well at a, at a high level. Um, you tell me. And it just, I you just, ask any athlete, you know, what's more pressure? Um, trying to go for a winner at max, we have nothing to lose, you know, which a lot of people on the platform are doing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, at the meet. But let's just talk about practice, going for that one rep max or trying to match your one rep. What's more pressure? Mm-hmm. For me, it's the second. Because if I miss that 
If I miss that second uh, thing, if I miss the my one rep, then oh my god, what does that mean? Like mm-hmm. you know, has every has my training been that off? Like you know, am I off today? Is it my uh, injury that I'm like you know nursing right now? Like what what's what's going on right there? Mm-hmm. Like why did I miss that? You start really being neurotic about mm-hmm. it, you know. Whereas if you're trying to go for something new, then. Uh, you throw caution in the wind, as you said. Well, it's kind of back to your comment about ignorance is bliss, right? It's mm-hmm. like if you, when you throw caution to the wind, you don't really know what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And with your with your example of, you know, that, that second thing is more pressure, right? Because right. it's like you're just trying to get to the... You're just trying to hope that you you maintained, you know, that you're at They've least... They've backslid. R- right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking to what you were saying earlier, Blanco... Um, I think it it kind of relates back to this thing about emotions and how it's it's so easy to get, especially in a sport like this, you know, where there's a sense of pressure and drama and um, with, you know, being on a platform and and you're doing this meet, international meet that everyone in your life probably knows about and how it's it's so difficult to separate your emotions in the sport even when you have a concrete plan you know mm-hmm. it's 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 really hard to to keep cultivating trust even within yourself and your coach right i think in and those 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 are make or break moments about like do you trust your own judgment you know mm-hmm. and and everything that you decided and planned before you went into this high pressure situation well, I think that the question of trust is, I mean, I'd love to ask Spencer, like, I know that we, you know, um, talked about how when we started and when you felt we started as well as to develop that relationship. But that's, that's, that's always a question that I've always had yeah. is like, when did Spencer start trusting me? Mm-hmm. Like, when did you start trusting? Like, okay, I think we're doing a good thing because the reality is when we first met, you know, I, I was a coach that was showing accomplishments through, you know, um, some of my athletes competing at a national level or showing up at at higher level competitions and performing well. Um, At what point, you know, was there that trust um, that you felt like, okay, I I think I can relinquish um, this part to to coach and and, and and together we can kind of get me to... Yeah, especially someone like you who's so very much in control of of what's going on. I appreciate the freedom of trust, and that's something that um, I want to seek in people, in relationships, and whatnot. But, you know, you have to look at what trust is. Trust is uh, the alignment of goals amongst different people, you know, uh, and that's even more applicable to a coach-athlete relationship where do Blanco's goals align with my goals? Um, is he wanting something more from me than I can give? Or, you know, is he uh, not really uh, taking my real interests at heart? Mm. So once I understood that uh, we were working towards the same thing, um, and it was a very simple process, I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, asking you about, uh, getting me to nationals and, and then worlds, and then um, you know going to that meet in December uh, at the Holiday Open, um, and just seeing his quiet confidence, which is something that I think that he's the best at, uh, and um, he doesn't—he's not a motivator in the sense that he needs to yell and scream at you. Like he knows—he knows what is best, and. I trusted that and I trusted that, you know, he knew how to get me there. So, I mean, it's our goals aligned. And back to you, Blanco, how Mm -hmm. did you figure out Spencer? Like, how did you start? When did you start to understand him as an athlete and how to push him and what was triggering and motivating him and and not motivating him? Um, I think it's. I mean, obviously, I'm very observant. I kind of just watch people's behavior from the the get go. It's something that I'm always doing. but I believe I started to get into um, understanding what keeps him motivated as we kind of went piece by piece. Because I remember early on we talked about creating, let's let's do this competition, let's review what need to be work on, what we need to be working on, and prepare for the next one. And I had a 
And I had to sell him on the fact that we needed to compete a couple more times, right? And I think I've said this to you. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago in Montreal. Like, I, I honestly felt like he was kind of still, like, unsure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm being helpful, but he's not. He's still kind of figuring out. I was like, does Blanco, is this going to work? And I'm okay with that I, because, like, you know, it's – I like being challenged that I have to prove myself as a coach. I, I love that. It's just a really good thing, and it's always dr- uh, driven me. But I remember piece by piece at every competition we would always – come together, what worked, what didn't, how are we going to approach it and move on to the next and and have to sell him on like, listen, we need to do this competition, we need to go to AO series because I need you to be in an environment where things aren't going to go perfectly. It's not going to be like a local meet situation. And, um, and what we ended up doing is that every competition, we would have a specific goal, whether it was the warm-ups, whether it was um, trying to uh, challenge ourselves to hit these specific numbers. And we started to build that trust Right. I started to understand it's like, okay, this is what keeps him motivated, specifically like really kind of knowing what we're walking into, talking about it, him being part of that conversation. Um, And then building each piece, like also letting me see like, well, how hard can I push him? Mm -hmm. Like how how when I, you know, explain we're going to go to this meet, we're going to go. It's going to be a month out from. How did he deal with that? Was he able to deal with that or was he losing? He was like, no, I can't do that. It's just too difficult. It's like he realized, like, okay, let's, how are we going to do it? How are we going to approach it? What are we going to be doing? And I remember clearly that day we were at Worlds, um, his first one, and looking at the numbers and looking where he was in the field and being comfortable with telling him, was like, you're going to need to open heavier than we've opened before. Mm. And, and also you guys building enough integrity in your relationship yeah. to trust him to execute that. Yeah, and in, in him being fine. Yeah. And in him being confident with it because we had exposed ourselves to multiple situations and really being well planned, right? And, and also each time building a little bit more. I guess raising the stresses each time the same way we do in training. You're, right? you're climbing Everest. Right. And what do you do when you climb Everest? You don't go from base camp to the summit right. in, in, you know, in one day. You go from base camp, you stay there for a couple of weeks or a week or so, acclimatize yourself to the altitude. Then you go to these progressive base camps up and up and on, which is what we were doing with uh, our world's preparation. And um, it's that constant checking in of goals, mm-hmm. that trust of this is what we're doing for this meet. This is what we're doing for the next meet. And for worlds, uh, checking in saying, not just assuming we want to do our best. That's mm-hmm. not a goal. Yeah. Um, your goal is I want to place. I want to hit this number or that number. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's a very simple thing with weightlifting. You know, uh, either you place it or you hit a number or hit a Sinclair or whatever. And he asked me the, the night before, he's like, you know, uh, so what do you want to do? I'm like, I, I want to get on that podium. You know, I'm, that's, there's a spot up there for me, you know, and he got me there. And he said, this is what we need to do. And um, there's no other choice. That's what you do. Yeah. That's what the trust is. But I, but I think that that, that moment that we got to experience is like a lot of people usually say, yeah, well, that's how it's supposed to be. It's like, yeah. no, that was built. Right. Like that was designed from the day one that we competed together. Like every time, you know, we were thought about like, okay, we need to work on these things. Let's work on them. Test. What are we testing at this meet? We want to make sure that the quality of these lifts at these specific numbers are good. Great. Let's go to the next meet. Now we're going to be in an environment where we're more stressful. The cards and the numbers are going to be a little more erratic. You might have to warm up faster. We did the same. So we just really developed that trust. But my question to you is, what, at what timeline? Because, like, you know, obviously there's always a process. But at what timeline between our, you know, holiday open to go in the worlds that you start to really personally feel like, okay, like you felt, oh, good. Like you felt, or like you felt that you could establish, you could have that freedom with him, right? That yeah. you just spoke about. You, it's hard to pinpoint a certain time. Mm-hmm. I had to trust him because, you know, what else can I do? It's yeah. part of the process, yeah. you know, 
uh, it's that old tired adage, you know, trust the process. And trusting the process is, is relinquishing um, that, uh, that freedom that you have of, uh, of, you know, free will, you know, let's say. Like, you know, you, I have to trust that whatever he has in mind is best for me. And um, it's not like some sort of indelible thing that he uh, was trying to improvise day to day. That trust was built because he kept telling me exactly what we're doing, what we're planning on doing. So once I have the plan in place, then fine, I'll trust him to get me there. Um, but it, I think it was that constant communication hmm. that um, started from day one, mm-hmm. you know, um, started from, uh, you know, this is why we're doing this mess cycle. This is why we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to every single meet and laying out specific goals and mm. checking in along the way and I with you as well. Mm. Part of the reason why you guys had such accelerated trust so fast is honestly because Spencer is a master's athlete, right? Mm. And he's older and he has more maturity. And that's a huge part of this, right? Is, is that, you know, you could trust him to do the things that he's going to say he's doing, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> mobility, yeah, yeah, really <laughs> no mobility, like accessories, like mental training. Like you, mm-hmm. you obviously not every single master's athlete is like this, but you know, Spencer definitely is. And he's very, he's very diligent about executing what he needs to do. And I think that's part of the reason that you guys bonded so quickly. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, we, we competed and, and I had goals and you, you accomplished them, right? But to even accomplish them at a thorough enough level, that's, that's difficult. It's not always like that. And there's a lot of distractions, you know, that happen along the way. And so I want to ask you, um, what has Spencer taught you about working with Masters athletes? And, and what is, how has Spencer cha- challenged your notions of what a Masters athlete can do or, you know, someone at his age and, and like with his level of skill and, and just how has that changed you as a coach? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think that a couple of things that Spencer taught me was, um, even at, even as a master's athletes overall, what I wanted in all my athletes was that, that expectation that they were going to do as Mm -hmm. they said they were going to do and communicate exactly what they're feeling that's going on. Like if they need something, they advocate. I remember he would say like, you know, I'm feeling a little weak overhead. Can we do something that makes me feel confident? And, and that, and those are things that show me he's taking ownership of what he's doing. And that was a huge thing. It's like, I always knew I wanted that Mm -hmm. in an athlete, but I didn't know what that meant. Like, you know, as your new coach, you're like, I want them to have ownership. I want them to have (laughs) confidence. And then what does that look like? And it's going to look different for everybody. And one of the things that I always um, raised my level of of desire to kind of put more on them was like Spencer. He would just, we talk about it. This is what's going on. He would do the work. I would check in and it was, and it was working. Um, and so that, the concept of ownership, um, a lot of it came from our experience together because he would just own it. And then if something didn't, feel right or he needed something more he would say you know i i need i need x mm-hmm. i need something overhead because i'm i'm not feeling too confident overhead great let's figure that out together um and also willingness to kind of like break things down like if there was something going on you know okay let's just see what's going on let's just find a technical movement that makes you feel that okay let's implement that you know not it, i mean i've learned a lot from from him uh, about what I want from an athlete, the expectations that I have for an athlete, and also um, allowing them to have some input, right? Um, which is totally important. I think it was very early on in, in my coaching, you know, it was thought of like if an athlete had input on their programming, it's like it's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to take control. And it's like it doesn't make any sense. Like I felt that he was bought in and he wanted something extra or needed something extra to feel more confident about what he's doing. And I need to listen. Um, so that was one aspect. You know, another thing that I learned a lot from Spencer was I don't need to say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think very often in the beginning of my coaching, I would 
be trying to find the right word and the verbiage and communicate the right phrase, tell the right story. I remember that. Yeah, and you were, you were there for early on for that. And I just realized that I, sometimes I don't need to say anything. Like, you know, I just, we just need to come to an agreement. Okay, we need to work on this. Okay. And, and he's going to work on it. And if, and if it's, he absolutely needs me, okay, I need to step in and kind of like, you know, help him figure that out or kind of put those two together. So that was something I learned a lot. I was like, I don't need to say a lot, a lot. I need to observe. I need to listen. Mm. And the more I listen, the more I kind of start to understand and see the picture of what's really going on. Like, is he feeling confident? And that, that's what happened at Worlds. Like, I'm watching him lift. And I'm watching. I was like, he just doesn't. He's not moving the way he normally does when he starts yeah. getting into those cleans. And, and, and that's something also I learned from him. Um, I think working with master's athletes, one thing I learned a lot from him was less is more. Um, you know, I've always known, and there's a lot of theory out there of like how to coach a master's athlete and how to coach, a, a, you know, a senior athlete or how to coach a junior. The reality is it's everyone's different. Some master's athletes love being crushed. They like training a lot of volume and they can handle it. Some master's athletes, it, it just destroys them. Um, and so I started to learn working with him that less was more. Like the, when we did really focused amount of work, um, specifically around the lifts, getting more volumes in the lifts and kind of using the squats as something that is just kind of more for him to kind of maintain strength, strength maintenance. Um, and then, you know, looking at like not overloading him with all of this accessory squatting, he, he felt better and he actually performed better. What I did learn was depending on where that athlete is in their journey, depends on how much information they really need early on they need a lot of information right. it's mm. needing to understand i'm literally i just worked with a new athlete this week she's been here for three days i'm literally explaining the process why do we do this is because we want to understand that we're basically training your brain to create this motor pattern i'm explaining the process piece by piece but as that person starts to progress and they start to take hold of that process and they start to practice i need to say less because the reality is if they don't if they don't know what they're doing, right, by the time they get to where Spencer is, then I haven't done my job early on. It's it's guiding them, informing them, informing them, informing them. And then at some point I have to just kind of step to the side and they have to walk and then they walk off the path and I kinda of push them back on the path and they walk off the path and push them back on. It's almost like having a kid, really. It's kinda of <laughs> it funny. Yeah. It's like having Agnes, yeah. like you know, I need to let her fall and then kinda of push her back up. Yeah. But um the awesome part about working with a master's athlete is also is like they are athletes too. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people I remember experiencing was like, oh, masters, it's not. It was like it's the stresses and the training and the amount of work it takes to compete at a master's level. Now it's it is hard. I think especially when you're older and, and you have a lot going on, you know, yeah, a lot the of people stresses have, are higher. Yeah, like yeah. family, kids, work, stressful jobs, like yeah. a lot of different scenarios there, and and you have to really. It kind of comes back to that motivation, you know, like you have to really have clarity on your motivation as a master's athlete, mm -hmm. I think, because weightlifting just requires so much clarity on your intention. And and so I, I kind of want to bring it back to to this, to what we were first speaking about, which is really you losing motivation at Worlds. And so sometimes like you're, you've been competing for a long time and then like you're not at the level you want to be and you can only do a certain kind of meet and you like lose motivation. You know, a lot of different scenarios happen where you're losing motivation. So I kind of want to ask both of you, you know, like, how are you, how are you, what are you telling Spencer to have him refine his motivation? And what are you doing, Spencer, to look within yourself to see, like, because, you know, as a master's athlete, you really have to decide to do this, right? You really have to decide to put this in. I think the motivator right now is like I know literally as soon as we didn't even compete at Worlds, I was already talking about, OK, what's the next thing? Mm -hmm. Because I know I, I know personally from experience what it is to go to competitions and end my the most depressing part about my job mm -hmm. is as soon as he drops the last lift. Yeah. It's every time, no matter what athlete, no matter what session I'm in, B, C, A, doesn't matter. As soon as they drop the last clean and jerk, I like get sad. Mm. I get sad because it ends. Yeah. It ends. Like all of that work we did ended at that moment. But as soon as that's over, when we walk off the platform, we kind of debrief. I, ha I have to remind myself to get excited for the next thing. 
because we have to we're going to start this again it's like you could do this journey this life journey every time you make a plan you put it out there you build 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 and then it ends well i think it's it's almost like it's a loop that's closing right and mm -hmm. but you have to let it go i think that's what it is right Mm -hmm. it's not just that it ends it's that it ends and you have to give it up you have to like release it into the wild because there is a next thing Mm -hmm. you know or hopefully there is you know and and that's new and that's fresh and that's exciting. Or there might not be. Right. Or there not, might, might not be. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that like sense of loss, you know, yeah. that sense of change where yeah. you're like, we did it and that's amazing, but it's, it's, that's how we are as human beings, yeah. right? It's like, it's over and now we got to like, we got to pick ourselves up and, and figure out what's next. Yeah. But Spencer, you, you slightly evaded my question. So motivation <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he did Blanco. Uh, he went like right afterwards. He was like, um, "So, you know, what's your plan?" Because I'm thinking about, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about uh, 2021. I'm thinking about the Masters games, you know, in Tokyo uh, a year after the Olympics next year, and um, uh, you know, we started to actually suss out the next two years very loosely. Yeah. You know, so see that's exciting for did me. Did that motivate yeah. you? So, how did you feel about it? Skeptical. Yeah, I, <laughs> see, skeptical. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I need. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I want to hear on this. Podcast. I was skeptical with yeah. that because, um, again, you know, I was coming off of you know a very uh, stressful meet mentally. Yeah. You know where you know I let my experience get the best of me where I had to figure out um, why I'm doing this. Yeah. And um, when that bar dropped the sixth time, I was like, okay, well, shoot. You know, like um, I did pretty well, not as well as I had hoped, um, but that's beside the point. You know, like I have to figure out, like I have to process everything that's going on right now. And after I processed that, I figured out that um, – you know, I need to not let that experience um, drive what my expectations are for every single meet. Mm-hmm. Because um, I also want to approach meets differently. Yeah. Where, you know, I've treated so many meets um, as stepping stones. Yeah. I've treated them for granted. Right. And, you know, at my age, I can't do that. Um, and for any athlete, they shouldn't. You know, they should... Uh, you know, they should feel blessed to be where they are and to have the people around them that got them there. Um, family, coaches, team, etc. So, you know, leading up to Worlds in uh, 2000, uh, last year, uh, 2018, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're going to make this meet uh, about coach-athlete relationship. We're going to make this meet about dealing with national competitors, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, okay, that's great. But now I want to move on beyond that and not perform any uh, less than what I've given uh, more so, but also figure out, um, you know, what each meet really means to me yeah. and, like, and to make them singular moments. You know, there's a Japanese term called uh, ichigo ichie, which is, you know, basically... Um, you know, first impressions matter. Uh, this, everything's a once-in-a-lifetime experience for you. So you have to treat that as a singular experience. Otherwise, you know, if this is just, you know, a path, like a dot on the path, that's great, but um, you can't really refer back to it after that. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than, we did this for this reason. You know, it should be more about that. There should be something that's unspoken, about that experience. And I'm trying to figure out um, how to commute that uh, concept into each meet. Mm-hmm. Um, not to create any artificial drama, right. uh, you know, not to create um, any expectations from before to now, but um, going in. And making it a fresh experience every time, that's extremely difficult. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. I think that is so true and important and something that we're all going through all the time, which is 
really mistaking the outcome for the process. Mm -hmm. And even especially because it seems so clear, like competition, want to win it, want to place, want to hit these numbers, that we lose the feeling of now. We lose the Mm -hmm. present moment because we're so caught up in, mm-hmm. in achieving that goal, especially if you are good at goals, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and you and I, I think, are very good at that. And we, we have very similar things where we're very structured and we create that structure and then we, we accomplish it. But then because we're, we're so hard on doing that, like we just we forget to feel, you know, we forget right. like what's what's really going on and 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 like tapping into tapping into the vein of what's actually happening you know not just yeah. the narrative arc that's forming inside your mind um i i wanted to i have two questions yeah oh i'm gonna ask you that one at the end but one of the things i definitely wanted to do was share um you know spencer talked about our first worlds and that was our that was like that was your first time mm-hmm. and it was my first world championships as well and i had an amazing experience at that one and i definitely want to be able to share what i experienced uh and what i learned um from that event but i've always wanted to know what what did you experience that day because i know it was new and i remember coming up and telling you that you had gotten second place he had no idea Mm -hmm. that he had placed zero he had no idea which was amazing because all i asked him to do was just focus on what Mm -hmm. he had to do he had no idea of the numbers, what was going on, who was in front, who was behind. And his expression on his face when I told him that he was a silver medalist was golden because mm-hmm. he had, he actually yeah. had no clue. But I wanted you to share a little bit about that day. Um, it was absolutely perfect, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's a hard thing to get over that day, you know, uh, because of its perfection and, and how imperfect it was. And um, the training hall... Uh, the warm-up area, which was connected to the platform, uh, was so like hot. It was a it was a goddamn sauna in there. It was <laughs> it was horrible. Like you know, but um, it all helped to just focus again. And um, I was only really able to focus on everything that was around me, you know. Um, and you know, I was in the warm-up area, and then I lifted, and then I went to the uh, I went on deck, you know, uh, once Blanca called me over, uh, and then it was just him and me, and then, uh, you know, going up to the chalk bucket, climbing up the stairs, like, every single thing was, like, so heightened with what was right in front of me. The unevenness of the platform, (laughs) um, of the wood, you know, it was, like, a little uneven and, like, just like how everything like, you know, just swirled around me. Like, so I didn't notice anything beyond my immediate vicinity. And, um, after I made those lifts, you know, um, that was my best, there were my competition PRs for both my snatch and my clean and jerk. After I made both lifts, um, I was, I was beside myself. I couldn't think (laughs) like, I, I was like, um, I couldn't, I, I don't even remember the weight on the bar. Like, I remember the weights on so many bars mm. during so many different competitions and meets, but that was one meet where I didn't feel anything. Mm. And then once that bar dropped um, on that last clean and jerk, and I, I, I just left. I went out, uh, there was like a little alleyway right next to the warm up area. I left because I was like, um, I was really shook. I was like, I was so shaken up by like how I was able to pull off, you know, two competition PRs um, that I didn't care where I placed. You know, it, that was irrelevant to me by that point. Um, and then when I finally came in and started like, you know, stripping down my my stuff, my equipment, um, that's when Blanco, my wife, uh, they were sitting in front of the in front of the board trying to crunch the numbers and be like, wait, because we were trying to maybe gun for maybe third, you know, maybe second, who knows, uh, you know, just an outside bet. They were like, wait, hold on. I think, uh, is this is this right? Like, we just got second because everybody kept um, missing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we were there that day. Yeah. Um, we showed up. We showed up and it was, it was crazy. Like, it, I 
I don't know what happened that day. I mean, it, it was a phenomenal day from a coaching side. Like, as a coach, having an athlete, you know, having that deep conversation of the day before, like, what are we doing? We're here to podium. Good. What do we need to do? Okay. These are the numbers that we are perceivably might need to be doing, depending on what the field is doing. And him being prepared to, yep, I'll do anything that needs to be done. But it's also that trust yeah. that we keep going back to. Like, I trusted him yeah. to be like, okay, well, what do you need? Um, well, we need a podium. Okay, just get me there somehow. Right. And then, like, I trusted that, like, whatever numbers that he gave me, I knew I could probably hit them because he told me I could. So, all right, great. Mm-hmm. It was as simple as that. I think based on how you're describing this experience contrasted with how you described Montreal mm. earlier um, in the hour, it, I don't think that it's just the framework of ignorance is bliss. I think it's really, I can hear in your voice, like, there was pure curiosity about the moment, you know, like that unex, it wasn't just other people driving you. It was really your own personal openness to what was happening that really motivated you above everything you know because you didn't you didn't have expectations right like it was as simple as that you were just open to whatever was happening at that moment and i think that you lost a bit of that in montreal you know you you came in with this sense of of achieving excellence and maintaining your position but through that hard lens you kind of lost a little bit of curiosity for the moment of what the moment could offer you and give you and how you could be present to that. Yeah. And um, a lot of the times when I look back at uh, not even the videos of the lifting, but I look, I look back at the pictures of um, my wife. Like she took a whole, like, you know, she was helping me load in the back. Um, she took a bunch of candidates of what was going on in the platform uh, in the warm-up area and seeing Blanco and seeing uh, Brian De Janeiro uh, in the warm-up area, like just like looking at my lift and just being like, wow, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty damn special, you know, and I'm really lucky to have that. And, um, you know, you're right that like I wasn't, open to that experience because I was trying to focus on something that was way far ahead. I wasn't looking at what was around me and who was around me, really. So um, that's something that I lost. Yeah. But that's so, a good that's a good thing, you know. It's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing to have that vulnerability because then you're you're forced to interact with it. You're forced to deal with it. And I think that's good for you. Like Yeah, because it's not good, you know, during a meet to try to aim for something. As an athlete, yeah. the only thing you should be aiming for is whatever your coach tells you and whatever's on the bar right now in front of you, in the warm-up area or, or otherwise. So that's something that I lost focus mm-hmm. of, and um, I need to figure out how to regain that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I need to figure out um, beyond that the motivation behind everything. And this is a very enlightening meet in the sense that I was able to... Um, appreciate who was around me mm-hmm. and um, that I can widen my locus to include them mm-hmm. and to be able to do that um, you know concentrates the potency of it even more I think um, so and that's the ultimate trust where you're able to uh, include them within your little mm-hmm. circle that uh, you're trying to just get through life and if you're able to have, you know, more people to gird yourself, then, um, you know, that's what winning is, mm-hmm. you know, not just you by yourself all the time. Yeah, because mm. no one does this sport by themselves. No, no nobody. It's all. a singular sport yeah. where you're the only person that can lift that bar. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I think one of the things that we... What we're not putting a finger on is that everything, every journey has an evolution. Mm-hmm. And so when you've climbed that mountain, it's it's not so much about reclimbing it, yeah. right? And what we're talking about is like how to maintain that mm-hmm. is like it's not so much a curiosity. Is like we have to now realize like there is a, there is a new challenge ahead. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. how to understand 
how to be in this place, right? Yeah. So right. high-level athletes, yeah. right, at their level, it's no longer a, like genetically what do they need to change yeah. or how strong do they need to get. It's how do they maintain the high-level mm-hmm. performance. And most of the time, that's a mental aspect. Mm-hmm. Mentally, how can you keep yourself, A, motivated? B, how do you, can you just be present in each individual moment, right? And see what are the things that you need in your life that help you go back and forth into those. So there's a, there's a really awesome talk about, you know, the, the mindset training of most of high-level athletes. It's like it's a whole different ballgame once yeah. you're up at the top. And I think to me, I, I see it as like we just endeavored into something new. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to figure this part out together, right, which right. is to me is yeah. like exciting. Yeah. Like I don't see it as like we lost is we literally just learned something new. Right. It's like, oh, man, this is different. It's the motivation of not knowing what we're going into and then just being mm-hmm. extremely challenged by other people. It's not there as much anymore. Right. How do we maintain it? Right. And how do you keep that high level performance? And that to me is like that's a whole other whole other game that I'm excited to kind of like evolve and figure out. So. That maintenance. We want to talk about highs and lows um, with the sport and what's exciting about the sport. And winning is exciting. Being on the podium is exciting. Having first experiences is exciting. But in order to get to those points, you have to maintain. You know, there's so many things behind uh, those highs that you have to temper. And that's what I'm trying to figure out yeah. is that um, people win by being, by maintaining mm-hmm. and by being consistent. Mm-hmm. All these boring traits, those are the hallmarks of what you need in order to <laughs> oh, yeah. succeed. Those boring traits, it's true. They're boring, Just but you know what? It, like, yeah. you want to get to that level? You want to experience that? You're going to have to experience this. This is, yeah. this is what it is. I mean, this and is definitely what it is. This is what it is. Yeah. You know, it, the, um, and I won't, it's not, it's not all drudgery. It's not all, I, I don't want to say that it, the routine is, uh, that's also something that you need to also not take for granted. But it's all of those, um, those, those baseline elements that need to be um, worked on every single day, you know? And like, that's, that's what you want. And if you want, if you want to win, if you want to do well, then you have to maintain, you have to learn how to maintain. And that's a discipline that, you know, it's something that is um, a continual process. I, um, I really agree with what you're saying. Um, and I think that is a little bit of what you're experiencing right now in terms of I have been weightlifting for over five years. And so I've been doing it almost twice as long as you have. Mm. And there are so many periods where you feel like you're losing motivation, but it's really... I think it is more to what you're speaking of, which is you're, you have to find how to adapt to, to this new place you're at. And it's really hard to figure that out because it's new. Because well, they, you've they made a name for it. It was called Plateau. <laughs> and, it's, and it's, they say yeah, it in training yeah. all the time. You reach a plateau. Yeah. And that's yeah. reality. You will adapt. <laughs> you reach a plateau. Then the next endeavor is how do you rise again? Right. And that is the challenge of, you know, being an athlete yeah. because, yeah, you reach a plateau. Yeah, you can give up, go yeah. back down yeah. and go right back up. Yeah. That's fun, <laughs> yeah. right? Go into every meet and just kind of yeah. like just throw something over your head and get lucky. Or once I've reached that plateau, okay, how do I maintain this and add? And that is a completely different thing. And that is that is something that people who are doing the sport of weightlifting and getting into, like you even experienced for the last four weeks, you've been doing the same thing, right? None of this, like you're changing the program every yeah. day and every yeah. week and every, no, you're literally doing the same thing for a period of time, trying to find some aspects of your lifting technically to change and your strength to get up and then you move on. And that maintenance or maintenance, mm-hmm. that is literally where the magic is. And yeah. people don't want that because like, you know, you know, CrossFit helped us grow weightlifting, but the sexiness of having yeah. the things be different, yeah. it's, that's, it, we're sport specific. And the mundaneness and the ability to maintain that and find your motivation in that and find the small, intricate wins in the mundane training, that is the challenge. How do you live in that middle zone so then you can kind of add and build on top of that? That's amazing. It's a weird thing yeah. about life. It's kind of, if you want to keep adding, you got to be really good at this middle part and then add on top of it and find that middle part, get really good at that as well. Yeah. I think, I definitely think that's everything, you know? And, yeah. um, 
And I think what the quote that I think about all the time, which is um, like, you can't win if you quit, you know, it's like, it's really that simple. Like if you want, if you want more, you have to just stick it out, you know, like that's it. Everyone does that. Everyone has to go through that. Um, Back to your question about how you've changed and like what's developed with you. I think Spencer's taught you a lot about expecting more Mm -hmm. from, from your athletes, because I think you, you expect a lot. <laughs> and no, I, I it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But yeah. but definitely he's changed your understanding, regardless of how old he is or what level he's on. Like he's changed your understanding of what a high caliber athlete that you can develop is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of person that you need th- that will help where you can help each other, yeah. you know, and and he's really. Spencer has really raised the standard. Oh yeah, yeah. He like. Yeah, I mean, they, he's yeah, yeah, he's definitely he is the standard. I know that in, in training, team. they yeah. I think they they um, they do, uh, you know, some, some of the other athletes. I think they make fun of you sometimes because they because they're like you're like they're like so he's so precise. And yes. Like oh there he is again hitting eighty eight percent perfectly. Well, you know, it's, it's not just that. Like, it's like oh there's Spencer with his his like seventeen minute warm up. That's like <laughs> it's right on seventeen <laughs> yeah. minutes. It's like it, but it's but it's true. It's like. That he brings in this level of like consistency, yeah. you know, because like, like some of the athletes are younger, you know, whatever, yeah. and some of them are younger, and they start, and when they see that, like like animals, they reflect it. Yeah. They they'll see. It's like, oh wow, he's like, and he's consistent. He yeah. performs well at every training session. Does he miss? Of course he misses. Does he make a mistake? Of course he makes a mistake. But there's this level of consistency that has allowed me to realize, like, no, that's that's what people need. The mundane. Yeah. They need mm. to be consistent. And they can deliver. And they I can think deliver. that's yeah. what it is, right? It's like, it's not just inside your head anymore, right? It's like, right. oh, you've got an athlete actually performing and executing and doing all these things that you're, you're prescribing and, right. and asking them to do. And I want to say to deliver, and I, we never did this in the beginning of the show, is like, can you uh, run through your, your performance pieces? So you have, I think, um, 2018 Worlds, silver medalist. 2018 right. world silver, silver medalist. 2019. 2019 masters, uh, national masters champion. Champion and also 20 record and holder. And record holder for clean and jerk currently, um, which was upped by, what, two kilos, one kilo. Uh, this last world's, which also I got a you silver your, medal you as broke, well. You broke your own record second right. time. Um, and... Uh, yeah, uh, medalist for the uh, American Open 2 last year, 2018, uh, for my master's category as well. And a um, couple local meets, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely um, getting recognition that I didn't think that I necessarily would get or deserved, but um, I'm always surprised, and that's uh, a good thing. Yeah, so I'm hoping that uh, we can do master's games yeah it's it's just like the olympics it's every four Mm -hmm. years and i've been trying to give it a hard sell on him it's like only every four years (laughs) you can only do it in this time of your 40s 41 Mm -hmm. to 40 41 to 40 to 44 Mm -hmm. so he won't be able to do another games until he's in his next age category 45 to 49 right so we'll see we'll see So you know, hey, it's, in, it's in Tokyo, right? It, I would, mean, not, it, wouldn't, it would not be a bad thing to uh, to go to something that one of our uh, other athletes calls uh, old man worlds every single mm-hmm. time I go to a, yeah. a, a world uh, championship. So that actually is old man worlds or the old man Olympics. Yeah, old man Olympics. Um, so number one, that, and number two, to uh, potentially share a podium spot with Chad Vaughn, oh, which wow. would be kind of cool yeah. because that he's aging cool. up to my age group. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, a real Olympian <laughs> okay. at yeah. Old Man Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. That's that not be, a bad thing. That would be dope. Yeah. yeah, that would be dope. I like that. Okay, so I think we, we should probably wrap it up now. Spencer, where can people find you? People can find me... Um, in Astoria, where I live, or, or obviously at Brooklyn Barbell here in Brooklyn at, uh, within Virtuosity, or uh, at Spencer Tsai on Instagram. Very simple. Yeah. And Coach Blanco. Coach at Coach, Coach Blanco, Blanco on Instagram. Yeah. And um, I'm, which <laughs> I half run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm at Kim 
dot Elliot one L uh, Fung, and we'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening. And hopefully, our podcast keep getting better. Yeah, and, and I want to thank Spencer yeah. so much for taking yes, the time definitely. to share. I want to thank Blanco and also Kim for having me on, but Blanco for um, for trusting me. You know, it's not about the athlete trusting the coach, but the coach has to trust the athlete. You know, mm-hmm. there's always, uh, you know, you go into any classroom, maybe uh, in any high school, and there's always probably like one or two people that the teacher will inexorably just say, they're probably going to go somewhere. Everybody else, nah, not so much. But it feels like with Blanco, like every single person that's underneath him, he feels like, it feels like that's those one or two people, but that's mm-hmm. his, his entire classroom. So everybody's an MVP, uh, you know, with him. And um, you can't lose with that sort of attitude. I believe that. Yeah. I believe in that. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys. All right. See ya.